Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of the Inside Agents. Of course, I'm joined by my lovely fellow co-host, um, Nathaniel Matthews, Nate. So Nate, take it away and let our guests know who we have today. Okay, guys, welcome to another episode of the Inside Agents. And this week, we have a topic on African football with my friend, Abdul. Abdul is a football agent that I met in England, and he also has his own football club in Gambia, Universal Sporting Boys. So we're just going to tap in with Abdul and just discuss football in Africa, player development, transfers, and just being an agent and being a club owner as well in um, Africa. So first and foremost, bro, why did you choose to build a football club in Gambia of all places? Uh, I'd like to uh, actually thank you for the introduction and then I'm really happy, you know, um, for you hosting me and um, diving into the question uh, why I'm choosing to, uh, you know, um, get involved or maybe invest in a football club, especially in, uh, in Africa or Gambia. Um, I'm originally Gambian and um, of course, we believe that charity begins at home and there couldn't have been a better place for us to start with this investment. And um, so I actually had a long thought about it about three years ago. And then um, finally last year, I invested in this club. And then, um, you know, um, the main target was to um, recruit and groom, you know, some of the best young players that we have around and then, um, you know, try to develop them and then pave ways for the like you know, get them through a pathway that will definitely see them, you know, chase their dreams, you know, you know, I mean, like, try to make opportunities much more available to them than they would, you know, under the normal route, you know. They've got a lot of things going on for them. And then um, it's not just, um, you know, getting them on, but then knowing that they've got the right mindset and, you know, as far as their careers are concerned. So, Basically, that was one of the motives behind this. And uh, I personally, I'm a football enthusiast, and then um, I've been in the footballing. Uh, I've been years now. I've got um, five, five to six years of talent ID experience, um, working with some of the was with some big football names uh, in Mickey Adams, that's the former Leicester City and uh, Brighton boss, and uh, Alan Smith, former Man U midfielder and uh, Laurie Dotfield, former Hall City midfielder. So we actually started out as um, um, talent ideas and then uh, we launched the first talent ID project in Gambia back in 2018, where we actually scouted boys and then uh, got them. We got, we, I mean, on our first scouting trip, we um, actually ID'd about four boys who are currently in the UK and um, a scholarship program, you know, with one of our partners in Brookhouse College. Um, it's it's quite a renowned university with a top with a top uh, top 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 notch uh, footballing academy down there. You know, so what we do is we get them through the the education route because since they're um, since they're minors, it's quite easy. And then of course. Education is actually primary, 
you know, as far as um, minors are concerned. So we get them through scholarship programs, and then, um, you know, they they get to, they get to study and then also play football whilst they're at the university. So basically, that's what we've been doing. So uh, we currently have about ten boys there, with the first batch graduating next year, and then you know making it take taking it on to the next level. So basically, that's how things have been going on for us. You know. That's amazing. That's amazing. Could you talk to us about your experience of being an agent and how maybe it it's different from you know being an agent in Europe, UK per se versus being in, in Africa and what that's like. Sorry, could you say that again? My experience of being an agent versus so so if you can if you can talk to us and our guests about being an agent in let's say the UK versus being an agent in Africa or, or like what your experience has been like being an agent in both places. Um, first things first, um, the agency market because in the UK is quite, it's a lot more competitive compared to that in Africa. And um, of course, because in Africa, we we have, I wouldn't say so-called agents, might be the wrong uh, terminology to use, but we don't have too much of savvy agents down, down here, you know? And it's actually something new for most of the guys down here now. And um, if not something new, they, it, it's like we have everyone, like we don't have a lot of people trying to take it up as a profession, you know? or see it as a, as a type of way, unless it actually comes knocking at your door, meaning um, you would only want to be an agent if probably you know that you know, there's potential. Uh, probably, let's say my brother has a huge potential, or my brother's been playing, and then you know, suddenly we actually have a couple of clubs maybe that might be interested in recruiting in local clubs. And then, you know, or maybe nowadays you have a few other you know, players making it to the top, and then you know, everybody um, knows exactly that this is what's happening, this what's going on for them um, you know they just they just want to dive into me you know so uh, I'll say the market down there is definitely quite competitive as far as agents are concerned compared to here but because here we lack a lot of savvy agents or people that don't really know exactly how you know being an agent works you know but the number is actually I wouldn't say it's gradually increasing increasing you know as time goes on and uh, we have a couple. We have we have a little bit of. We have some people that are actually quite interested interested now in wanting to know exactly, you know, what's happening. You know, what do agents do? You know, they're trying to know exactly how things work as far as being an agent is concerned. But it's actually quite challenging down here, you know, if your center of focus is actually being, uh, you know, because African uh, Africa itself is still a developing nation and. Um, most clubs will most definitely uh, prefer getting external contacts. What I mean, external contacts, um, contacts in Europe, Asia, than having you know contacts around you know the African region or whatsoever. So it's quite challenging, and then um, it's a bit tough for most Africa for agents in Africa than it is for agents in the UK. You know where you can easily meet people, you know, mobilize around, and then. Um, you could even meet people that are very, very, very experienced 
you know, just like I met late and then, you know, we shared a couple of, you know, from there we knew exactly that, you know, well, this is something that we should be getting into. So we don't have them type of thing down here, you know, like agency, um, we don't, we don't have that. We don't have that organized down here, you know, like having agency summits, agent summits or whatsoever. So, so those are not things that really come on here. You know, so networking is very, 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 extremely limited as far as that's concerned. So it's quite easier being an agent in the UK than it is being here in Africa. But for startups, it's quite easier to start up down here than it is to start up over there because of the competition and uh, the, the saturation of the market. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. that's a great point you bring up too because I never thought of the aspect of building a network in Gambia or in your African country because I could see that clubs wouldn't necessarily care to make contacts with agents from Gambia or agents from Senegal because it, it's like, yo, what can you do? For, like, you, they don't think that you guys can really do much for them as opposed to me coming in. Because I could say, when I went to Senegal, bro, like, all the clubs and everybody was great with me. Like, they were willing to offer me players left, right, and center. You know what I mean? So I assume that because, like, it's that way for everybody yeah, yeah. trying to get all the players out. But then, the way you're describing it, I could see, because I went there with another agent from Senegal. And he was shocked. And now when I look back, you're saying the same thing where it's like clubs would never let him in before. You know what I mean? Or they'd have discussions or they'll be willing to give them players. As opposed to when I was there, they figured because one, I didn't speak French or the native tongue. So they're like, oh, he's definitely from Europe, American. from America. So they're like, okay, let's push all of our players towards him. He can help us and all that. Yeah. Because of the resources and everything too. And it, and it happens like... Um, like you were saying, Nate, with your experience of going there, it, it has happened to me, um, you know, when I started my journey uh, to being an agent in Europe, it's like everyone just opened the doors for me um, there. And obviously, because not being from there, but just, you know, seeing a new face. Um, and then also to being American, but then having a history of working with different, you know, sports but, and stuff like that. Exactly. They, they jump on it because they know the resources. But I think it's it's interesting what you said, Abdul, about, you know, the lack of resources in Africa. And I and that's something that definitely want to touch on more um, throughout this, you know, uh, podcast interview. Definitely want to touch on that a little bit more. Because um, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on that. And maybe, um, I don't want to say ideas, but like, what do you think some things would help? But that's going to be like a later question down the line. <laughs> Definitely. This um, great conversation so far, and it's very eye-opening because I would never assume that. Because me, like even when Maggie's speaking, like for us in North America, it's kind of the same thing when you think about it. When you go to approach clubs or you try to approach players, the clubs, like if you're from North America or you're from that area, they don't really work with you, like as opposed to if you're an agent from Europe who's trying to reach out, then they'll be like, oh, okay, like, hey, now I'll help you out. But if you're from like North America, if you're from their backyard, like the hardest contacts I've heard agents from North America find are the ones that are the clubs closest to them, if that makes sense. 
the clubs closest to you are the hardest ones to make the contacts and the ones that are further away it's so like it's so much easier and it's just mind blowing i don't know though i have mixed feelings on that yeah no for me it was easy like the ones that are right in my backyard i'm cool with but i've heard from a lot of other agents are like i cannot get in the doors at the club like right down the street but like that's true that part i can understand totally i think for me the reason why i said that's like certain parts of europe it's tough to just oh yeah yeah break into the club i think um just like dealing with africa as a whole is like i mean it's a little bit easier for me somewhat because you know like my family comes from africa so it's a little bit easy in that sense um or like if i want to do things in the caribbean it's easy because my family's from there also so it's like it's just knowing certain things but then again I've, it's been yeah i i could see that though i i could definitely see what your point um nate i could definitely see your point on that exactly. next next question bro just in general what are some challenges that you have like faced trying to move players from africa to europe because a lot of people think that the transfer market is so easy and like oh if you have a talented player it's like you just break like you know everyone has that stigma that okay like it's so easy like a bunch of african players are coming to europe like that's it's like it's so easy but can you go through like what are the challenges of getting clubs like to take a look at a player from africa let's say Excellent question, Nate. Um, I think this interview wouldn't have been completed if um, this question wasn't brought up. Yeah, because uh, it was actually a question I was actually getting ready to answer since we actually jumped on this interview. So um, I'll, I'll make sure to properly elaborate and then, you know, so viewers out there will know exactly, you know, what's happening, you know, how it's like, you know, for. Um, how it's like to how hard it is to move players from Africa to Europe. So um, first, like I said, um, Africa is still a developing nation, so it's referred to as a third world country. And uh, first of all, before we even get to um, the clubs wanting to have them over, clubs are, are like clubs club executives actually lazy when it comes to putting in the work to uh, move players because technically they'd be like you know what we're doing them a favor they're not the ones doing us a favor unless in extreme cases you know so that being said you have to go through the hassle of um, immigration in the first place you need these clubs to take time out of their times or busy schedules to do you an invitation letter. You want them to send it to you, right? Okay, fine. They send it to you. You have to, like, they, like if they actually probably say, not really need you, but maybe just want you to come over so they could have a uh, look at you. Like, um, so you want, uh, like, you want them to give you a, a whole month for you to prepare travel, like, for you to prepare your visa or get, get your visa. So what club wants to wait for a whole month for a player to get through with their visas? One, and not just get through the visas, do their travel arrangements, preparations, and then 
have them come over, you know, just to have them out on a tryout, you know. So, like I said, except in extreme circumstances or cases, you know, because if not, they would rather just have, they'd, they'd rather just, you know, look at their, um, some of the local lads that they've got around there, or maybe have someone with a European passport. So, because if you, if you, if you come to, uh, if you if you've actually been in contact with a couple of sporting directors and they tell you you know we need the players most of them will actually tell if the club is from you they'll tell you you know the player has to have an eu passport or shouldn't be needing a visa to come over you know if we are to you know uh, you know opting for the player you know so that's a whole story of its own you know as far as um, moving players are concerned and secondly um ranking the ranking of the uh I wouldn't blame the clubs as well too much because um, the, the, the African rankings, like clubs in Africa actually rank. Of course, and as per FIFA rankings, uh, the highest ranked club in Africa falls actually in 20th position, that's Senegal. And then we've got a couple, we've got a couple more in the top 50, you know, which is definitely not enough. And then you're talking about countries that we think or we feel, you know, have the we have the have the largest audience as far as uh, um, league league qualities are concerned. That's South Africa. You have probably you South Africa might almost be outside the top fifty. So, and um, clubs have actually I wouldn't say they've been brainwashed, but like I said, for clubs and sporting directors have become so lazy that they don't really care about looking at people's videos no more. You know they don't want to see what you can do or cannot do. You know, the first thing they ask you is send through a transfer market link. We'll look him up, and then if he starts impressive, you know, we'll bring him over, or maybe we might try to work out something. You know, so for African players, it's almost quite impossible. And um, yeah, so you have clubs um, not wanting to um, actually look look at the player in person, and then. Um, I'm not playing the blame game here, you know. You wouldn't blame them too much because these are, these are a bunch of busy people, right? And um, of course, um, you know, they, they ha they, they've, got, they've got time, they're humans too as well. So they want to make sure that whatever it is that they're searching for, they get in the, in the they, they just get it whenever they want or whenever they can, you know, in the shortest possible time. You know, nobody has time to wait for a player to leave Africa. I mean, you have to do the visas or whatsoever for how long whatsoever they have to do it and then you know have them over nobody wants to go through all of the struggle and you know that's just a put a put off so that's why if you try to present an african player to a sporting director or a chief scout they automatically are not interested most times or even if they tell you they're interested most times in their head they've already made themselves believe that you know what i don't think it's something you know i should at this point because i've actually had a couple of scouts and um, sporting directors that I've had a chat with and then um, as soon as we got to the part where we have to be you know talking about a certain player they will they will just be like you know um, you know Africa is not the play I mean it's not the it's, it's actually, Africa is actually not uh, where we're looking to scout out at the, I mean as a now so it might be a place we might be able to try to look at try to look at in the future if you know what I mean so it's just a put off when it comes to these African players so that alone is a hassle of its own and then secondly, um, I've already told you, we don't have too many savvy agents down here. So clubs, like big clubs in Africa, 
or even even not too not they don't need to be extremely big, but clubs in Africa like actually control players, if you know what I mean, because yeah. they've not got agents that could um, guide them through or walk them through the basics, and then no, I mean try to make sure that like these clubs don't take advantage of these players. You know, um, they're playing in Africa. I'm not condemning um, Africa. I mean, I'm not condemning football in Africa. You know, but if we need to maintain or reach a certain level, these players need to be exposed. These are the first batches. You know, they need to be exposed. So, um, so these are the first batches of players. So they need to be exposed. You know, they need to get out there. Don't tie down this player to a four-year, three-year contract. You know, and then you know, just keep them at the club. And then if a club probably says, you know, they are interested in this, player, you start charging ridiculous amount of money. It has actually happened to me um, to, uh, with a couple of South African players. Um, that's the PSL player of the year last year. That's uh, Lorch. Um, they actually blocked a move away for him. And uh, imagine he's 26, playing for Orlando Pirates. And uh, of course, he was one of the most valuable players in the, in the league. He was valued by transfer market at, at uh, about 1.4 million. So the club actually got him to sign a new contract, a three to four years contract. And then, you know, had to keep him at bay. Although they had offers of around, I mean, up to about 500, 600K. You know, the club just couldn't let him go. You know, so all in the name that, you know, of course, he's contracted. And then as we've all seen in recent weeks, uh, as per Leo, Leo Messi's case. So that, I think, players are actually being exploited as well by clubs in that, in that aspect. And then, um, you know, they are not being given, they're like justice is not being done to them, you know, as far as the clubs clubs are concerned you know so that's also another um, hassle that most of these players face down here so it's quite difficult it's quite difficult so the only the only ways or times things get actually easy is you know um, if you have this bond or relationship with a couple of sporting directors you know and um, you know it becomes easy for you to have a chat with them be like you know what look I've got a couple of players I might want you to look at so you know and I'm like I'll take care of the flights whatsoever on immigration. You don't worry about that. Get me the letter and um, you know, you just ignore the fact that you've even given me a letter and then in no time you'll, I'll have them over there. You know, those type of things make it feel like, you know what, what, you know, I've got nothing to lose. All I have to do is issue a letter, a letter and then whatever happens, happens, isn't it? So it's, this is actually um, basically what happens and these are the challenges players down here face as far as moving them out is concerned you know, and then getting them connected to clubs. So if you could walk us through, um, how do you deal with challenges in terms of like other agents? So I know you mentioned that a lot of the agents in, on the continent of Africa are not really savvy, right? They're not really business savvy in terms of understanding, you know, the agent uh, player relationship and, and that whole thing. So how do you deal with like, other agents, sometimes maybe fraudulent agents that come from abroad and they want to come into Africa and obviously, you know, I don't want to say tamper, but they come in and they try to, you know, sell the dream of taking a player from, let's say, Gambia to Europe. How do you, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you, you know, have you ever experienced something like that where maybe you had a player signed to you and another agent um, came in and signed that player without your knowledge? Um, 
Well, I wouldn't say I've ever been in that situation, but I, I know a couple of people that have actually been there, you know, and uh, um, uh, uh, it was actually a bit messy in the end. And I'll say this is all um, due to uh, the fact that players um, are actually not very honest, you know, especially when it comes to those points. And uh, most of them would want to blame it on them being too desperate you know, you know, like, you know, we need to leave, man. We need to get out, we get out of this place. So um, I don't know if I should blame them for being too desperate or I don't know if I should blame them for like not being patient enough to know, to, to actually know that it's, you know, um, it's not as easy as they think and it needs to be one step at a time. Look, these clubs get presented with over 100 players per day. What are the chances that your player will actually be the one, like, out of all of these hundreds of players uh, presented, them chief scouts don't have the time to go like um, look at all of those players' videos. So, which has actually made them so lazy to a point that all they want to do is click on like send me a transformer link, click on it. Okay, these are the stats. No, sorry, we're not interested. Oh, these are the stats. Okay, he's a bit interesting. Let's just keep it that way. So, how would that work out for an African player? So, it's just us. Um, it's just it's just actually um, increasing the workload and burden on the agents. Or trying to make the the you know these agents are actually not you know doing their job. So there comes the part where this agent comes from nowhere, probably say maybe he's white or maybe from uh, Europe, America, or was where you know. So it'll be like, well, you know, they've got that inferiority complex in them, most of them. So it'll be like, oh yeah, he's from over there. So it's easier for him to make things happen for me than it is for, you know, the locals or the, or the local guy here make things happen for me. So I would say in my own case, that has not been the case because before I actually um, uh, made up my mind to become an agent, I had actually run a couple um, uh, um, talent ID projects, you know, especially with renowned names. So it was quite easy for people to be like, okay, well, you know, he's, he, he knows people, you know, he's, uh, he knows his stuff, you know, and then he's, he's kind of well connected. So if he actually talked, uh, I actually had people, just like Nate was saying, I actually had people come over to me or called me from nowhere, you know, look, man, did you do, and then, um, you know, and um, I hope we could um, get something going together, you know, them, them type of things. So it was actually not really a problem to me as far as that was concerned. So um, I didn't really have a problem, you know, when it comes to those cases. But that will always be the case as far as um, um, these um, agents from other countries come through. You know, they always have their own way. They already know that, well, you know what, they won't be easy. They will be very easy to deal with. Let's just come around, you know, have them, you know, see a couple of things probably on picture or this and that. And then, you know, we're good to go. We can just get them, get, get them on easily. You know, that's what players down here. Yeah, bro, bro, I can imagine because like you like like you said, and we just talked about earlier, the challenge for even the well, two-sided. We you and I spoke about this. It's always hard to blame the players for wanting to get out right away, but they also don't understand the process of how long it takes for them to get out. Like you were saying, I know, like we we know because we're business savvy people that Clubs don't have time to waste trying to wait 
a month to two months for one player to get there when they're like, there's hundreds of players across Europe that we can bring in right now or in 24 hours. So, and then when you tie the desperation to it, and then the other agents from North America, Europe, who just come and say, hey, listen, you can work with me. You're very talented. I'll get club actually for the other part where the clubs would actually start thinking about them having to deal with your work permit in the first place after you even get the visa or maybe if they get interested also another whole process for them so it's quite easier to get through uh, getting a european guy you would really need to do a work permit i mean they're already residents of europe so you just get them through the system straight away no work permit, no visa hassle, no this, no that. You get them through within so easily accessible. So that's why I can't really in the clubs too much. So yeah, you can go. Yeah. So like when you tie all that in, and then you have a lot of fraudulent agents telling players, don't worry, like I could get you out of here in 24 hours, 48 hours. You're going to get on the flight because a lot of those European agents don't know that you have to, one, get the visa because they assume that it's like how it is in europe where oh like or even north america i've never had to apply for any player to go from north america to europe and get a visa never so they assume that it works the same where it's like oh yeah well i see a talented player i'm gonna tell this club hey i could have this talented player i'm gonna bring him to you not knowing that it's above fifa laws like it's immigration laws you know what i mean it's not just fifa saying oh yeah like we have no issue with this player coming over, but it's like the immigration, the, the visa, government, the government. Once the government mm -hmm. gets involved, there's nothing you can do, regardless of what FIFA says, regardless of what any other agent says, regardless of what the club says. If the government's not going to give a player a visa, it's not going to happen. So, but they, then again, the players are desperate and then they sign with these agents. And then by the time you're working with them, they're already like, they're already dead set on working with this. I'm, this American agent, let's say. And then it just ruins the reputation that you guys have and all the work that you've done just doesn't even end up coming to fruition because players are too desperate to get out. But like you said, it's not their fault. It's just there needs to be more education in football, like globally. So there's more agents who understand and more, and this is even players, players need to understand too that because you see somebody else get out you don't know their situation because there can be some player from Gambia who has a UK passport and is one of their buddies who just happened to he got a trial and he left the next day because he had his UK passport and there's players in North America that happens to Maggie and I that we see that are 16 going to Europe but we know the American players can't leave till they're 18 but then they're asking their agents hey my buddy just left to Europe the other day why can't I and then you have to explain to them hey, well, like the visa law is like, and the child immigration laws, you don't have the documents to go. Regardless if the club wants you or not, it's impossible. But then they see their friends going and then other agents are telling them, no, we can go this way, this way, this way. Like I've, I've, I was on a call two weeks ago, actually. And um, this, this guy, because I don't even want to call him an agent, this guy in the football world was telling me, he's like, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring North American players over to Europe, but how we're going to do it, we're going to get them a Malta passport. And I'm like, there's exact what? I was like, one, that sounds crazy. Two, if FIFA catches you, for sure you're losing your licenses. And three, people are definitely going to look into this and be like, how did someone end up with a Malta passport when they're 16 and they didn't even spend a day there? 
it was just a mess but there's That's too much shady business going on where it's like a lot a the lot. good people that are in it who know the laws and like want to follow the laws and do right by people are getting mixed in this big group of just fraudulent uneducated people in the business so bro, i could i could imagine the desperation yeah. that happens over there and the players wanting to get out and uh just can you touch on like how covid has even affected clubs even wanting Sorry, um, before getting to that I'll just, i think i just um a scenario just came to my head for one of the gambian players and uh, i think Margaret is for you because you asked if i've ever encountered or been in a situation like that um i just recall that yes i've been once right um there's this play in israel so um um, you know the, the academy that I told you about that sends players to Israel down here? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know which one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. So there was this player in Israel, and um, he actually was running out of contract. And, and he's actually been out for quite a long while, nine months ago. So he actually reached out to me one time. He reached out to me, and uh, he was like, well, this is what's happening right now. And um, I'm actually injured at the moment. And then... Uh, I'm not really, um, of course, he's not playing, and then he needs to get back to full fitness before he can. But he wasn't certain whether the club is ready to keep him, and uh, there were issues going on between him and the club. The club not paying him his salary, or like, even if they're paying him his salary, like they just did out a large chunk off of his salary, probably like 40% off his salary. And um, they were not really looking after him as they should, you know, as far as being a football player is concerned. So he reached out, and uh, uh, I'm actually someone that likes to um, has respect for um, people that we're in the same business line with. So with this academy, I know they were responsible for um, you know having the player move to Israel. So I was like to him, "Look, man, I'm sorry, but I know a couple of people, like especially the club's vice president. He's really a very good friend of mine, and then we do have." nice chat sometimes and then he advised me about stuff and i advise him about stuff when i can so i look up to him as a big brother yeah so if anything has to do with you and that club i don't think i'll get my hands on it because i don't want him looking at me some type of way tomorrow you know i i, I think my, my my pride is actually a lot bigger than that i wouldn't do that so he actually said he didn't have any contact with these people like the only thing that happened between him and these people was they saw him playing in Gambia, they liked him, and then they, you know, shipped him up. I was like, well, I will not, I, will, I don't want to sound rude or maybe try to make you feel like what you're saying is not right. But I don't think anyone will just want to look at you well, just because you've got white teeth. They just ship you out to Israel to go play football, you know, without having to think about what they're going to get from that. So he had his way that he actually you know, make, made me understand that, well, there was nothing like a contractual obligation binding him and these people together. So I was like, well, that's fine. I'll have a look at your profile. You know, I'll send a couple of videos to some of my contacts and then let's see. So there was this agent one time. I actually um, had, um, I actually shared his video with um, a guy that um, had an agent reach out to me and then told me about this boy, you know, expressed interest and then, and um, he had a contact, he's a, Swiss, he's a Swiss guy, and then he had a contact with, um, with a club in Switzerland. So the club in Switzerland actually became so interested 
And then he reached out to me and I was like, well, this should be the offer. And then let's see if, we, if it's something that we can work on. <clears throat> so I reached out back to the guy. I was like, that's, that's less than a week and a half. I reached out to him. I was like, look, man, this is what's happening right now. And uh, we have this contract for you right now. And then club will want you to go out for a tryout. But I've had a meeting with the club and I've told them I don't, I don't have players that go for tryouts. It's either they sign you straight or look for another option. So he was actually willing to go for a tryout, but then I actually kind of blocked that because he had already shown interest. So I was like, nothing like him going out for a tryout. I understand that he's been out long time, but his stats uh, are there for you to see. And then he's got videos as well that you can look at. So this was how it started. And then, so it got to a point. And then once everything started um, looking like it was going to happen, all of a sudden he just popped out and be like, oh, you know, I have to discuss with the club back in Gambia. You know, I, I need to know whether they let me go or whatsoever. I was like, mate, look, I actually made this thing very clear from, from the initial start. Make me understand. If you've got you a couple times, but your answer was always negative. In fact, you told me, you gave me a hundred reasons for you wanting to leave the, that club anyways. You've not been paid your full salary. One, that's, you've not been guided, because normally you need to send that complaint to the, to the, to the Court of Arbitration in Switzerland. You, they, have, they need to have a look at it because it's, you, you, you have a contract with the club, so why are they not uh, fulfilling their, their obliga obligation? There way in your contract where it states that uh, when you're injured, um, this much money is meant to be deducted from salary or whatever. He was like, nothing like that. And then he actually had to come Gambia to, to actually treat, his, treat himself because he was like, they were not taking good care of him down there. You know, they actually had to go this because he had, he, had, he had ACL, so he could barely walk sometimes. So all of those was actually stressing him out. So it got to this point and then um, the agent that I was with, actually, um, um, I ran him through. I was like, just allow me to have a chat with him. And then, you know, we might definitely get him to get on the contract because it's actually what's best for him. Because the visibility he'll get in Switzerland, he wouldn't get half of that in, um, in Israel. So we had this chat, had this chat, and then um, all of a sudden the, the agent actually asked if it was possible for us to get on a video call with the, with the boy. So we got on a video call. I actually organized that. We got on a video call via WhatsApp. And then that's what, that was about it. Since that day, um, the agent never reached out. If I sent him a text, he never responded. And then at some point, he actually gone to a point that he actually blocked my number. So the, I wasn't really bothered. All I, was, all I knew was um, I'm actually dealing with um, two people that are actually not very honest. And if I keep pushing, it's only going to get me in trouble. So I was like, let me just back up. I know that at some point, one of them will definitely come back and then, you know, they might need something. So he had been communicating with the guy now directly to a point that he started communicating with the guys, the parent club down here. So I was totally out of the picture. So what he was actually waiting was for him to get a direct contact with the guy and then just, you know, push off whoever it is that's on the side. You know, of course, that, that's definitely going to mean more for him than, you know, having to share. 
So that was how it was. And then I never bothered looking into that. I just shrugged off everything. You know, so I just went about my business. So a couple of times the player tried reaching out because I think the deal broke through and then the player tried coming back again, reaching out. So I wouldn't reply to none of his messages. And then a couple months later, two, two, two and a half months later, um, one of Gambia's best players that's actually playing in um, UAE right now. I'm very close to him. And then um, I've actually presented him to clubs. So he, this guy, Swiss guy again, unblocked me and then tried reaching out. Can you imagine? So he came back and was like, look, um, uh, I'm sorry about what happened the last time, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, there's this player that's Gambian and I think or feel that, you know, we should be able to, you know, get in on. And then, you know, I have a club that's looking for a strike. I was like, mister, I'm really not interested. One. And even if I'm going to be interested, there's nothing, there's going to be at least me having player and then you get in 30%. And then thirdly, you put me in contact with the club, let them know that I am handling all of this. You stay on the side, and then once everything goes through, you get your 30%. So he actually saw that that was a bit too harsh. So when he came, I was like, well, you want me to be harsh. So that's exactly how I'm going to treat it. You don't want it, I'm sorry. We'll discuss about this in this place, email or number. If you have somewhere else you can get it, then that's fine. But what happened to me the last time, you've already proven to me that you're very dishonest. You know, so I wouldn't definitely get myself, you know, in that type of trouble again. So this was actually what happened between me and this agent. So this was the experience between me and him. So since then, he never reached out. That is a wild. That is a wild. And that story does not surprise me because that happens all the time and that is even why I'm very wary of who I let around players that I manage because players are like agents it's such for instance everyone that I work with or like you Maggie for instance we've all discussed players and working with players together and making moves happen and I have no issues with that it's so seamless we all get it when but when I get like a weird vibe or like there's not many people like us in this industry where they're like, okay, yeah, let's just move this player. Like, I know for sure, like, you're not going to do me wrong. Like, it's fine. Like, whatever happens. There's so many agents that come around and will be all buddy-buddy because they see one of your clients. And then as soon as you introduce your client to them, then that agent goes and says, oh, hey, like, I can get you a better deal than your agent. Or they start bad-talking you and it's like, we're friends. We work in this business together. I don't, I don't even care about your clientele. Like, you can have your clientele. I won't even think of approaching your clientele without you present. And then you're going to go behind my back and then try to make deals happen without the player. And then what makes it worse is the fact that they come back like nothing ever happened or you would never find out that this is what transpired. Like, it's, like it's so... I mean... <laughs> There's there's some situations I could share and make notes already. Um, like I've dealt with it as a newer agent, right? Like you guys are like the guys I look to for guidance and advice, even right. And I respect you both. And so, like for me being a little bit newer and then being damn near like the only you know black 
female in it on this side, it's, you can only just imagine. It's very challenging. And it's challenging, especially because when you have agents that they're threatened by you. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the best way to put it. It's like, well, you're coming in this humble. You're coming in it where it's like, you're open. You're like, look, it's, it's important for us to network, right? Like, like Nate touched on. Um, but sometimes they don't see it that way. And especially if you're probably more of the type of agent that their clients should have, they don't see it like that. So even if you're willing to work with them to get the player the best situation, sometimes they don't see it like that. And um, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But I think that's kind of why we, you know, we, we, just, we just have to keep doing what we do. Um, and also, too, we have to understand, too, that it's, it's challenging and it's, it's tough. But like Nate said, you got to be wary. I'm always wary. Like, always, 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 always. Mainly because it's, it's not even really just the fact that, you know, we're humble and we, we know where we come from. We, we have our morals and values, but it's, it's the people, right? And I always say sometimes you have people come in the form of distractions, believe it or not. You know, you'll have some agents that, like Nate said, the perfect scenario, they'll be buddy-buddy and smiling your face when the whole time they're plotting to take probably either your whole roster of players without you even having a clue, you know? And so, and it's one of those things where I think that's why for me, loyalty is so big. And this is probably going to go into the next question for you, Abdul, where I know we talked a lot about African football, you know, obviously being an agent, but the one question I'm curious is how do you scout your players? So like when you're looking for players, how do you, you know, like, what's that, like, what is that process like for you to scout players that you want to sign to represent? Okay. Um, uh, are we talking, are we referring to African players or like players in general? Um, I'm going to say Africa, mainly. I would start with Africa. So like, how do you scout, you know, African players? Um, and especially okay. because, right. you know, that's like, you've touched on it this whole time about, having to sell the player to the markets of Europe and even North America. So how do you sign African players? Like, like, what do you look for in an African player, African footballer? Okay. Uh, okay. That's the, the quality of the side, right? Uh, not what clubs are looking for. So quality of the side, like... No, yeah, not what you're looking for. Right. So... Um, as is with um, with as it, I mean with me I'm an open book, but I'm and I'm, I I make sure to not sugarcoat anything when I'm trying to when I'm trying to speak or what I'm trying to say. So um, what I'll do is um, I'm actually good at talking to people and then make them understand and realize exactly you know what they're about and then a little bit of uh, life advices. In as far as um, them being like humans are concerned, putting football aside, you know, so I talked them through that, look, it's not as easy as most of you think or see on the videos. Two, I don't give them guarantees or pro I don't make promises. Three, I don't get them signed, so I don't get them sign a contract unless and until something is about to happen for them. So. I actually give them that free will that look, I will try and see 
if something might be possible from my side. It's just, this is just me trying. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then hopefully we might get on, you know, to, to maybe make things happen in the future, All right? So I actually try, try to make them see, what, see the bigger picture. I try to make them know that, well, I'm not gonna tell you that this is what I am, or I'm this type of person, or this is what I'm good at or not good at. All I'm trying to do is make sure you see the reality, you know, of exactly what happens in your careers as a footballer, you know, your career short, first. Secondly, there's a 90% chance you're not even being very factual to me about your age. So normally you have tops 17 years. So if you're coming to me with four years below than your actual age of five years, you've got like what, 13, 13 more years at the top. 12, that's if you're really lucky. If you don't end up winding up your career in um, probably one of them Asian countries, Kuwait, Qatar, or whatsoever. So I try to make them understand that, well, your career is very short and um, we need to create a pathway. We need to be realistic. You know Sergio Ramos, you know Cristiano Ronaldo, you know Messi. So um, come to think of it, this is what happens behind the scenes as far as clubs are concerned. This is what clubs don't want. want. This is what clubs avoid as far as moving players are concerned. Okay, if you happen to go to these clubs, this is what the club's sporting directors don't like. This is what they look for. These are key attributes that you, you know, all of those type of things. So they know that exactly the person, this, the person that we're dealing with actually knows what he's, what, what he's doing. And then he knows his stuff. And then it actually makes sense what he's saying to me. So with all of this honesty being placed or put right in front of them, it's quite easy for you to work with an honest person because an honest person recognizes an honest person, right? So unless probably you're not honest with yourself or, you're not the type that actually tries to see, you know, or from the bigger perspective, and um, you know, you'll know exactly what's happening. So, if you have made sure to bro broke down every single thing that happens, uh, I mean, in the footballing world, and then also, um, you know, um, attributing that or projecting that to life, real life scenarios. Um, if you've actually broken them down to that level and they still don't want to see the bigger picture, then forget it. They're not the person that you should be working with. Technically, that's what I think, you know? So, and that's how I, you know, that's how I get, that's how I get to do things, you know? So I try to be as straightforward as I can, try to bring it down to, because most of our talented players are actually um, uh, either not extremely educated or most being dropouts. You know, so it's going to be hard for them to understand certain things. So you have to bring it down to their to the level, make them see the picture, make them understand it, that this is what you're in for, this is your career, this, uh, I mean, there, there are more, there, it's, you are more likely to increase your chances of, of, I mean, of being successful, depending on how you've trained yourself to be or how your mentality is. It's not about you kicking the football around, you know, because that's just the physical part of it. You know, that might fail you at any time. You might get a career-ended injury, you know. You might not even need to play football to get a career-ended injury. You might just slip, fall, break your leg, you know, whatsoever. Anything, can, anything might happen. So what happens after that? 
you know so you have to be very careful you know be very disciplined and then you know just be honest in whatever it is that you're doing be honest to yourself be honest to people that you, you you're working with so basically that's what i feel you know just be honest with them and then put it right there, right, right there for them to see make they make it very clear and understandable to them and then from there if they want to see that well this person is really trying to be honest with me then they're the person for you to work with if not then just forget it so basically that's how i think that's how i do things that is so true like even not even working with african players just players in general honestly it's all about working with like take take football away from it, it what i tell people is if you take football away from it is this someone you would want to work for someone you'd want to be around if it's someone you work with or you want to be around or you enjoy their presence or you could talk to them about non-football things then that's a type of player that you should represent because you can have the most talented footballer in the world but if he doesn't share the same morals as you it's not gonna help you one as an agent build two they're not really gonna listen to what you have to say three you your whole relation the player agent relationship is all about trust and if you feel like you can't trust your client then it becomes a big mess because who's to say when things are going well for that player that he doesn't leave you or when things are going bad for that player he won't leave you as well or he'll tell or he'll be dishonest with other agents about you so the most important thing bro honestly is literally represent a good person and that's why i wanted to ask you as well how involved are families in bringing players over because in north america i know families are more involved like i i deal with brothers sisters moms cousins aunts uncles grandparents you know what i mean like holidays i make sure i take care of athletes so are parents more involved or are they more like hands off and they trust you with their careers um um on my path or on the route of um or i'd say a couple months or maybe a couple uh let's say a year before i actually decided on wanting to become an agent you know i've actually been um um i've actually been uh, looking at profiles of um of top agents and then you know how they operate and watch videos and i'll say um i actually learned a lot from aircode so um of course with him being with him talking about family every time and then um you know it actually made me saw things at another level you know on a bigger picture so it's actually a type of philosophy that I've adopted. So um, I think there was one of his videos, he was saying that, well, this family spends almost their whole life looking after this kid, 10, 15 years, took them to school, get them to their plane, they got them the boats or whatsoever. So say suddenly an agent comes from nowhere or scout comes from nowhere, 16, 17 years, well, they saw that this kid is, I think the kid is good enough. And then all of a sudden you want to claim this kid, you know, I mean, they've got parents. If they've not got parents, they've got legal, they've got guardians, you know, they've got brothers, they've got sisters. At least it's always best. Although maybe some might not be really be interested in football, but I mean, 
I wouldn't think, even if it's a cousin, that you should get involved. Just try to get a couple of family members involved, you know? Make them know that, like, this is what exactly I'm trying to do. Because uh, after all, they're just kids, you know? Um, all they want to do is enjoy play football, you know? And uh, normally at the age of 14, 15, they don't see themselves, like, worrying about signing contracts. They just want to have fun with their friends. So that's the time you actually start engaging with their family. Know that, well, you know, just educate them. Know that this is what happens. This, this, this is what's going on. And um, most importantly, do not let the love of money actually um, the cause that you ever, you know, break, break, break a bond or breach a contract with someone, you know? So get them involved and um, they should definitely get their own share fear because it's life. You know, you might have a kid someday, maybe that, uh, a kid that's not involved in football or maybe in your area of expertise, and then somebody else you know, tries to come over and then pull the same thing on you. So it definitely wouldn't be fair. And it's not something I feel, you know, um, any parent would like, you know, to take advantage of or anything. So that's exactly why you see most uh, agents nowadays actually, I mean, most players are actually being represented by their family members. So not they are really very experienced, but the fact that um, they just don't want the money to just go out there like that. You know, so you look at Mesut Ozil's case. Mesut um, Ozil's um, departure from Real Madrid, I think, was down to his father. Mesut Ozil had to fire his father because um, he didn't make the best of choices for him, if I'm, if I'm right. So that was when I think Erkut took over. And then, you know, I think things started going His well brother. So Erkut right? actually... Did, biggest, was it his brother um, that came in too? Sorry? Was it his brother that came in to, to work with him on that? No, that's Erkut. Erkut came in to work, work with him. I don't, I don't really understand the story probably, but I knew that at some point, um, Mr. Ozil's father was actually handling his footballing business or whatsoever. And then I think they, they didn't really fall out as a family, but then he just actually had to, you know, be like, you know, that like, this is what's going to happen now. And, you know, let's, allow the experts to take care of this and then, you know, let's do things on our own way, you know. So basically, that was actually what happened, you know. So he actually went on to um, uh, break the record of being the highest paid player in the Premier League at some point, which, of course, Edward broke it. So if you are not really savvy as an agent, you know, those are actually things you wouldn't be able to get around, you know. So and actually worked out perfectly well for both of them anyways, so uh, which is actually a good thing. So, in my opinion, I believe that it's always good to involve family. And then, with all of uh, with a few players that I'm working with, um, I've got families involved. And then, um, you know, I, I, it's not like I call them to check up on them, you know, to make it too obvious that, I mean, or make it seem like, you know, oh, well, he's just reaching out. Maybe he's just, you know, probably just for his self interest. So, I come up to them or reach out to them like things, like when solid things come up maybe say we have an invitation letter for the player and I'll go to them and be like, well, this is what's happening right now. So, you know, let's join and see how best we will be able to um, come to a conclusion and see how we can work it out, you know. So this is what the club is saying. I try to be as transparent and as honest with them. If this is what the club wants to offer, I tell them this is what the club wants to offer. So this is what's going on. So just so they know that, well, this person that we're dealing with is actually, I mean, honest and that we can trust our sons or probably daughter's career or whatsoever with him and then he will definitely handle it 
you know, he will, he will, he will make sure that, you know, he only gets the, uh, some of the best things. And bottom line, that's all, that's what all parents want anyways. So this is how things work out as far as that's concerned. So I try to get family involved as much as I can. No, that's good. And, um, you kind of jumped in, well, you kind of touched a little bit into the next question that I had for you about, um, families representing their, you know, like representing players. So as far as, you know, we have certain um, players that are represented by their family members. If we're talking about Messi or we're talking about Mbappe, um, even Neymar, you know, what are your thoughts on that on parents or siblings stepping in to be the player's agent? Are you, do you think that, it's good if the parent or the brother or sister is the main agent for the player, or do you think maybe they should be open to kind of like what you said with, um, with uh, Mezart's situation and bringing in an expert to work with him? Well, um, it's always very wise. unless these brothers or sisters or parents are actually experts. So just always try to get the best person that can get the job done, get the job done for you. It doesn't mean that these brothers or sisters won't learn in the process if it's something they take up as a profession or becoming an agent, right? Because, okay, with Messi and um, Neymar or whosoever, I mean, has the players, I mean, the brothers or uh, families representing them, like Hurricane is also, I mean, Hurricane is also managed by his brother. Um, it's quite important that, like, with those type of players, those caliber players, it's going to be quite difficult for them to, because, like, these are players that are actually, like, they've got extra protection outside. You know, these are, they are, they are working with the best lawyers. So it's not going to be easy for them to just make... Um, you know, um, just get themselves in a, in a bad situation or bad deals, you know? So for all we know is, um, I think these so-called players like Messi and others, if they don't have parents that are actually savvy or like too experienced, what I think they will do is their parents or the whatsoever family member that are, that's actually uh, representing them will actually be the face of them being the agent of their son. But they would have um, lawyers or very exp I mean, people with uh, top uh, top notch expertise at the background that you will see that will definitely advise as to what to do and what not to do. Leo Messi, like it got to a point, Messi, not not Messi, neither his dad knew exactly that there was a clause that stated that he could um, he had the right to um, actually get his contract terminated or tell the club that he wants to leave in time. And um, this was uh, actually highlighted or pointed out by one of the lawyers. So you can see that they actually have other people in that area that are quite experts that will be able to um, give advices when it comes to the right path. And uh, in the case of um, Neymar, in the case of Neymar, um, you can see a little bit of like, um, okay, I, would, I, I don't know if him moving to PSG was a career um, forward for him, but I think it's definitely a backward, you know, and uh, he a bad one? definitely achieved a lot more with Barcelona. 
I'll, oh, you you mean for him going say, to PSG? Well, I'll, say, I'll I I think <laughs> yeah. it was a step down a bit. Yeah, I know, I know you probably you have, but that's what I think personally because there was a higher chance with him, you know, winning. Uh, I mean, getting um, more success with Barcelona than he was with um, PSG because, see, as you can see, with his quality, he's actually the missing piece that Barcelona, you know, is missing at the moment, you know. So um, I think his move away from PSG was definitely, I mean, to PSG was actually something that he based on the fact that the project in Barcelona wasn't right, which of course Messi has just, you know, um, came up with as well, that, well, the project here is not, it's not right. I don't think it's the type of project that I think, you know, I'd be happy to walk, walk in, you know. But we can actually see that um, that move was all due to the fact that his father made it happen, like his father pushed for it. Because yeah. Neymar in some of the interviews actually talks to you about how important his dad is as far as his career is concerned. You know, he gives his yes, he gives his no, and his dad's yes is his yes, and his dad's no is his no. You know, but all of that aside, we know how much South Americans love money anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's interesting yeah, because yeah. I know it's I know it's all being agents and you know I'm just that's constantly a question that I always want right. to ask other agents so, to get their opinion on the families representing players. Yeah, you know? And you you know my opinion. It's always <laughs> it's always family members to me, honestly, they're the best day-to-day -day managers for players. Yep. But when it yep. comes to right. them being an agent to get negotiations done, unless, like you said, Abdul, you bring up a great point. If you're at Kylian Mbappe's level, Harry Kane's level, Neymar's level, Messi's level, the club, you don't have to worry about a club or a brand trying to play you because they need those type of players. Now, mm -hmm. if you're a mid-tier player or the average footballer, get a professional to do your negotiating because... When brands see one of your parents walk into the room and you're not a strong name, or a club sees your parent just walk into the room solely and you're not a strong like player, the club and the club and marketing or brands try to take advantage of that and offer your parents deals that they know that parents would assume is big money that really isn't in the branding world. And also when parents are doing right. deals, let's say for instance, they know their son is tied to Nike. Like he has been with Nike his whole career. Like they remember buying him his first cleats and they were Nike cleats. And now he's getting a deal for Nike, but Adidas is offering him or another brand's offering him 10 times more. The parents will more likely sign with Nike when other brands may have a special project for the player just because they know their son has Nike boots and they don't want to disappoint him as opposed to an agent being like, yo, listen, like, I understand how you feel towards this brand, but you need to start thinking of your legacy and building your individual brand now because Nike's already made, right. you yourself isn't. So don't worry about the boots you're wearing because you can end up with boots that are like with Puma or with anybody else and then create your own story. So that's why I think, but day to day, I think family members are great managers because they know their player better than we ever would. You know what I mean? So if they know like, oh, my player specific, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he needs like certain things before games and stuff that I think is cool with like, okay, he needs this and this, like in his press blocks, like his best friend, da, 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 these are the people that we want in. Yeah, that's cool. But when it comes to sitting down at the negotiation tables with brands and with clubs, if they're not on the Ballon Dior list level, don't, I say players, honestly, your parents let them manage you because like you said, they've, they've been there throughout the whole career of the player. And I personally wouldn't just push your parent to the side and be like, no, I'm going to cover this fully because I don't think that's fair to them either. But I don't think it's fair to the player to let their parents manage their careers and their negotiations Mm -hmm. as well. Agree. Yeah. A lot of the choices at the end of the day should be left to the player. Um, But I think, you know, having the family, like Nate said, they serve as good day-to-day people. Um, Sometimes even if they do, like for me, at least from my experience of working with, you know, big players, mid-tier players, the ones whose families are involved, I work hand-in-hand with them. So we say, okay, they'll say, Maggie, you'll be the main agent. And I say, yeah, and if you're going to be the second agent or the co-agent, then let me show you. Let me, let, let me educate you on some things that maybe you didn't know. Because Nate also brought up a good point. Sometimes, and I've seen this firsthand, where some parents who are agents will walk into negotiations with brands sometimes and feel like they know. They'll walk into negotiations with clubs and feel like they know. And they don't even realize that the club already has another agent in mind or whoever they have a better relationship with, that they're already just saying, okay, once we get this player signed, we're going to make the player sign with our agent, the agent that we're suggesting, because we don't even like dealing with their parent. Because a lot of times they feel like the negotiations, the decisions are very um, emotionally based. So they're like, we don't want that. You know, so I've seen that. And I've, I've seen instances where parents are like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's, it's, it's very um, interesting. I, I have like two different sides to it, but I think it's good. But, you know, it, it varies. Right. Like when you, when, we, when you touched on Neymar, for example, a lot of people didn't know, but Neymar's dad is his main agent. But there's an, there's an agent that he's had since he was young that's still in his corner. So anytime he's doing a deal, that agent is always there. He's just, you know, like you said, the father becomes the face. Same thing with guys like um, Mbappe and, you know, even even Messi too. Like you brought up legal teams. Like parents could go that route as well, which I have no Yes. But, um, I agree. If a parent is a – I'm sorry to cut you. Right. If a parent is an attorney, that, that was another point too. Now, if they're like a, on the legal side, that's understandable. Exactly. Like even um, another point I meant to bring up too was like even on the club side, players, parents, when they're involved with the player on the club side, say for instance, their boyhood club offers them a contract, but you know that there are eight or nine players that play the exact same position in the first team above him, where it's like, maybe we should move him out of this club now, but the parents have the emotional ties to him growing up there, they're going to advise him, hey, you wanted this your whole life, sign with your boyhood club, where an agent would be like, hey, they have nine guys in your position, three are week in, week out starters, and one is on a million pounds a week, maybe we should move you to, like, another country or another club or loan you out or something, where parents would feel more, like, they'd let their play, like, let their son or daughter down by saying, hey, maybe we should close this chapter of your life where agents would be like, yo, like 
you've played at this club long enough to enhance your career, maybe you can go to another club and maybe come back in the future when you're a well-established player. But that, that's, those are just things that go through my head when I think of parents being agents and why it's too emotional for them. And clubs know this and clubs will play on those emotions and if parents deals that they think are wins, but it's actually losses for the player. I'm actually, okay. I'm curious on that even more. So, and maybe both of you could share your experience. Like, and we could start with you, Abdul. How do you deal with that? Suppose you have a player out of Gambia. He's like, you're looking at this kid and you're like, yeah, this kid is, this, he's a star. He's a born star. But the parents obviously have a lot of influence on this kid. And so they tell this young, uh, young man, you know, the father in particular, will say, I'm, you know, going to represent you. How do you convince the father to then say, you know, it's, it's imperative that he hires you, let's say, to be that agent versus the dad thinking that he can do it? Like, how do you approach things like that? Sorry, could, you, could you get that question back again so I, I get my head around it? Sure. So how do you... If you're interested in signing a player, the players the like could be the next star. The father is representing this kid, or the father says, "Look, I want to represent my kid, but I want any kind of help you can give." But you know that you representing that kid, you can do a lot with with that young man. How do you deal with that? Like, how do you convince the parent to then say, "Okay, you know what? I will probably be their manager or something, and let you." handle full representation well um, if the parent actually approaches me then i will automatically understand or like see it as a um as a sign of respect that well he actually believes or like have a certain type of trust in me you know um, that he wants to actually not entrust, but talk to me or ask me about, I mean, ask me to help him as far as, um, you know, um, getting his kids contract, I mean, getting his kids um, career, you know, onto the next level. Like he actually believes that, you know, I'm that type of person that will do that for him. So I'll definitely make sure the respect is reciprocated. And then um, um, I'll be sure to um, give him an advice from my own viewpoint. I'm human, I might be wrong, but I'll try to make sure that he understands exactly um, the basics, you know, the bits and pieces, um, the all little bit things, uh, all little bit of things that should be, um, um, cons cons should be a point of concern at that point in the kid's life or um, as a, at the start of his career, you know, so see, if the kid is probably a 14 or 15 year old, what I want to ask the parent to do is, um, football becomes secondary automatically, education primary. That's where we start off. And in the meanwhile, like we keep tabs on the kid and then, you know, we try to make sure to, um, I will try to tell the parent that look well, meanwhile, whilst, whilst he's doing his, whilst he's doing his football and then of course, taught you at the same time, what we want to do is, um, you know, make sure to keep tabs on him, have a smart 
footages as we can and have expert videographers, you know, um, pull together, you know, a very decent highlight that we could actually start showing to clubs in the early stages, you know. So, of course, in some in 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 in, in certain ways there are actually clubs like for example in uh, in europe you want to look at um countries like sweden denmark switzerland and uh, uh, not the balkans man because those um those, those are not uh, those are only developing grounds for their their own natives so you want to look at uh, um leagues that are actually in the uh, in the bottom 20 like say from 10 from the uh, from 11th to the 20th part you don't want to get them to France. You don't want to get them to. Um, you don't want to get them to England, Germany. What you want to do is get them to Sweden or Denmark. They've got very good um, clubs that are actually very good at developing kids, and they will welcome any type of kid that has the slightest of potential. You know. So what you want to do is get the kids started up there. Once they start hitting 16.5, 17 years old, you know they should have been done with uh, probably college at, at that time. And then you can set them up to actually join the under 17s or 18s in Sweden, you know. So, of course, the footballing philosophy in Sweden will definitely be different from what you'll get in, in England, you know. But it's quite similar to what you'll get around Switzerland, Denmark. So you can easily have the kid navigate around that end and then from, uh, around Norway. So say by the time he's 18, 19, he's actually very familiar with the situation. And the, I mean the I mean the footballing philosophy of that ends. It and then he must have developed. Mind you, you you're saying that he's a kid that you feel or think will definitely be the next big thing. So I'm looking at this kid as someone that would be, you know, the next Erling Haaland in probably two or three years. You know, so what I would want to do is you know um, design like make the parent like I try to make things break down things to a level that even. Probably a five-year-old kid will understand exactly what I'm trying to say. So I try to make sure the parent knows that, well, this is what I think or would be my advice as far as this kid is concerned. You know, and then if we are to use this route, you know, there will be higher chances for him as per my understanding or my little bit of experience that I've got that um, it would be actually be the best thing for, for us to do for this kid if we actually want him to reach his full potential. We don't want to surround him. Of course, he needs competition, but a competition that will actually allow him to compete, not allow him to compete at the bench, or maybe have him, you know, coming in as a sub. In I mean, week in, week out, not that type of competition, you know. So we want to make sure to get the kid on the right path, and then you know, make sure the parent understand that this is the route that we are meant to use if we really have want these kids coming to, you know, um, to reach his full potential as far as that's concerned. My understanding. So that's what I will say to the parent. You know, and then I will, of course, tell him that, well, this, he will actually see exactly why I will be the best person to, you know, um, to manage his kid, you know, as far as that's concerned. That's a great point, because um, I think once you, once you explain to parents that you're willing to work with them and you educate them on certain clauses or certain restrictions or just educate them on the football industry as a whole and they understand that you're knowledgeable too then they're more likely to work with you because you have to remember that it is a test as well for you and they're going to interview you as well and i wouldn't trust anyone who says they're an agent 
coming to my kid to put to make my kid a pro unless you can tell me what are your thoughts on my son um not even not even the connections you have but what is also your path for my player where do you see him going what can you do to benefit him what are some clauses because a lot of things a lot of parents just are uneducated about football in general the business side of it they know hey we have a talented kid but they don't know like hey like like you just said sending a player like i always tell people a player's first move is critical in their development and it makes no sense if Bayern, if Bayern Munich, let's say, wants your child or um, let's say, yeah, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona want your child, but your child is playing in Messi's position. It makes no sense for you to bring him over there as opposed to bringing him to, let's say, a Scandinavian club where you know he's going to get 100% of the game time or not even, maybe 90%, 50% of the game time where he's young now so you don't mind taking that risk where he can develop for one two or three years if he goes to those bigger clubs with those bigger academies the likelihood of him seeing first team football in those three years is so slim where it's like you could have gone somewhere else and then eventually that same club is still going to track you and could come calling you and actually put you in the first team later on so once you explain different pathways because parents also think that those are the only leagues that exist like it's like it's like just the top five club like countries in Europe that's where our kid needs to go right off the bat if he can't go there then he can't make it but it's like there's so many different pathways in football and there's so much money in football in other countries where you can take your kid out and he can make a substantial amount of money if he's in a Scandinavian country at one of the top clubs or even he develops at that Scandinavian country and yeah the move may not be the Barcelona or whatever but you have to look at the pathway that most footballers take and before Killian even joined PSG he was at Monaco and before um and before let's say Conte joined Chelsea Conte was at Leicester before he was at Leicester he was in third division France like before he was third division France he was in fifth division also working part-time so it's like if you look at the average football player they make three or four moves before they get to their big club. You understand what I'm saying? But everyone instantly, as soon as they hear one club's interested, they're like, oh, my God, Bayern Munich, or oh, my God, this club's interested. Like, I have to move my kid there when it might not even be in his best interest to go. Yeah. So if you can create as many pathways as possible for a player and you can explain that to parents precisely, then that, then that makes them feel more comfortable because also – in my, in my mind, I would think, okay, well, this agent has one plan for my player, but if that plan fails, then what? And then if you can't explain to them the then what, then honestly, I don't think you should work with my son. Because that is our job, is to find plays for all players all over. So the way you broke it down, bro, makes total, makes total sense. Oh. So, bro, last question. Last question. I'm gonna go into. What do you think of the right to dream philosophy, in general, and can it be mimicked in other places in Africa? Well, uh, of course, it's something that uh, that's really helped develop football as well in Ghana. 
and uh, it has somehow put uh, Africa on the map, I'll say whether directly or indirectly. And um, one of Right to Dream, Tom Vernon, I've actually um, had a chat with him a couple of times. You know, we've really not dwelled too deep into it, but the philosophy um, with Right to Dream, the philosophy with Right to Dream is, I'll say, it's I'll say it's it's a unique type, and um, it's actually something that Generation Food from Senegal is always adopting. It's almost adopting. So it has actually gone on to another level because Right to Dream has actually been recruiting some of the best Ghanaian players and um, at least the national team player. I mean, um, six seven years from now, the Ghanaian national team will at least. I mean. Uh, I mean, uh, constitute of at least 30 to 20, 20 to 30% of players will have been product from Right to Dream. You know, that's because um, the, of, that's because of their unique type of philosophy. And um, I'll if football in Africa is ever or will ever, you know, move to the next level, we need more of um, that type of philosophy adopted, you know, as far as Africa is concerned. And um, it's actually something um, that I've um, thought about, and um, you know, I wouldn't want to. I would want to save you the trouble of one, uh, having to crop that out again. We'll have that discussion some other time. Probably you and I, Maggie, maybe we could, we could actually look at that as well. And um, because we, um, I've actually had a chat with some brief or some few in investors briefly, and um, some are keen in you know wanting to see exactly you know the tangibility of the project or whatsoever. So. Um, that will also be something that I would like us to discuss some other time, you, Maggie and I, and then we will have a look into that. But I'll say, um, if you look at the de development of players from Right to Dream, because they actually just sold a player last, this transfer window to, uh, I think they sold him for about 20 million and then about just four years or three years ago, he was actually at Right to Dream before he made a move to Denmark, North Zealand. Because the owner of Norgeland, I think, actually owns um, Right to Dream. You know, they're in direct, it's, it's like they're in direct partnership, like they're directly affiliated. You know, so they, what they do is they actually get their best players um, from the academy, like three, four of the best players, and then, you know, get them to Norgeland. And then they just inject them into the system directly. So what Norgeland does is ju they just like disperse players. So, and I think one of the reasons why Norgeland is one of the most successful clubs in Denmark is the fact that this is the philosophy they've adopted. So my advice would be um, to, uh, what, what my advice would be if, um, as far as football and development is concerned in Africa, is, um, you know, they should look at things that um, Right to Dream is doing. So I feel that we should, we as like Blacks, we should be able to do that ourselves. So if somebody else is um, formulating that, uh, plot, if applying that, you know, um, from Denmark, you know, bringing that idea to Africa and then gaining from it. So why shouldn't Africa, it's not about, I'm not saying plagiarize, but it's not a bad thing to look at the fact that, okay, well, somebody is doing well in this area. So I think I might be able to learn a couple of things, you know, so I could actually, you know, try to do well for myself as well and others, you know. So these are all things that are actually possible, you know. So it's definitely um, a one-of-a-kind type of philosophy, you know, I'll say. And um, 
we can see that it's actually working out well as well for Generation Foods. I don't know if you know Generation Foods is in Senegal. This is, this yeah. is the academy that produced Sergio Mane and uh, Ismail Azar, a couple other top players, you know. The, the, you know they're doing well. So um, Generation Food was actually established back in 2000, in the year 2000, and um, they've gone on to produce loads and loads and loads of talent. So if they could be, uh, if they could be an academy that produced, uh, that's, uh, if they could be an academy that actually produced one of the world's top four greatest players right now, and at least for the past two three seasons, you know, then it just says a lot about African players. You know, it just shows that. All they need is the, the pathway. All they need is the resources, you know. All they need is for these things to be made available to them. And then they definitely would be able to, you know, um, get it through. So Senegal, uh, 20, from the year 2009, it's actually um, 20 years. So Senegal actually started coming into the footballing uh, uh, world. I mean, the they, they players started to get recognition, you know, in the sporting world. Um, after the 2002 World Cup, they had a great run at the World Cup, you know, um, um, beating France in the open game. And then, you know, gone on to the quarterfinals just for them to be eliminated by Turkey. By then, after that World Cup, most of the Senegalese players made massive and big money moves. El Hajiju moved to um, Liverpool for then, I think, about 20, 20 plus million euros or 20, 20 million pounds, which definitely was a lot back in the days. Salim Jawa moved to... Um, uh, we have, like I'll say, like 60% of the squad made moves, you know, so this alone, you know, left a, a massive reference, referencing point for um, Senegalese players. And then it actually helped and made um, scouts and agents much more interested in wanting to visit Senegal, you know, rather than visiting other, other countries. So that's exactly how things work, you know. And um, the Senegalese people, I'll tell you, are one of the most they are also one of the. Uh, they are also behind the success of their of the of the of their footballing. I mean, of Senegal becoming a, a, a powerful footballing nation in Africa, because most of the players that actually travelled out and then did their bits in Europe or the Americas or wheresoever, these players actually left massive imprints in these clubs. So, and when they are leaving any club, they made sure to establish a sort of connection that will bring those club reps back to Senegal. Like, you know what, go to my country. You think I'm good? I'm, I'm nowhere near being good. They are boys that are actually 10 times better than me. So that's how Senegalese people operate. So if you, like, till now, no Senegalese player from the, from the federation or the, or the national team, like on the 17s, on the 20s, on the 20s, like, <clears throat> it's, it's, uh, it's actually like a, uh, a type of sign about a couple of years ago, none of them will go for tryouts. If a club is interested, they will have to sign the players or the player will not go for a tryout. That's how it works now in Senegal. You know, so unlike all the players in Africa, you tell a Senegalese player, oh, look, man, I want to help you out, this and that. They'll tell you, it depends on where you want to take me. If you want to take a Senegalese player to Israel, he wouldn't, he wouldn't go. If you want to take him to any, like, any as far as football is concerned, they'll tell you, well, I'm not interested. I'm actually, I'll, I'd rather stay here. I know the opportunity for me will come. So, you know, we can see that the mentality of these players have changed. You know, they're in no rush to travel out. I wouldn't say not all of them, but then most of them that I've actually represented at national level, they don't have any reason to, to rush. 
You know, so you look at the Senegalese national team, if you want to make a reference point, look at the Senegalese national team. If they play with a squad this tournament, for say they have an African Cup of Nations 2018, the next year, 2019, 2020, if they have to play a tournament, trust me, that squad will be overhauled by at least 40%. 40% of the players you know that represent it won't be there no more. You have Papis Dembasise, he's actually posting in the, in the Turkish league with about 15, 16 uh, goals to his name. But he's nowhere been even considered by the Senegalese national team. You know, and it's not like he's retired, but like they don't really consider, they don't, want, they don't need him there. So we can actually see how this philosophy um, is actually working as far as um, Africans are concerned, or maybe, you know, uh, football and development in Africa is concerned. So I'll say um, the right to dream philosophy is an exceptional one. And then it's definitely something that, you know, we should definitely look at. And then our uh, federation should definitely consider doing from what I think. Yeah, trust me. The one, and it's eye-opening for the rest of the world when they see the transfers that Right to Dream is actually pushing out. And I like the the fact that you said, well, if they can do it, why hasn't Black people decided within themselves to get it done? Because there are a few clubs and there are a few young Black guys and like with money and the resources as well. It's like, why can't, it's not even plagiarizing. It's a system that we know works, why can't we among ourselves do it for our own and make it happen and make it boom? So trust me, I, I completely agree. I think Right to Dream is a great like foundation of what should happen all over Africa. All over. So man, Abdul, thank you so much for being on the Inside Agents podcast. Um, joined by my co-host Maggie Intel, I'm Nate Leader, and I'm yes, so happy to have this conversation, and hopefully, it brings more light to African football, the football industry as a whole. Thank you. Absolutely, thank you so much once again, Abdul, for joining us. We really appreciate it.